But here's this was my realization when I was at that altar. There's a God in heaven who created me and he loved me. And everything that I've ever done in my life, every sin, every memory that was passing through my mind was not against people. Everything that I did was directly against him. And he loved me. And I thought, why wouldn't I give my life to a God like this? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Rooted in Christ podcast. My name is Eric Stevens. I'm the founder of Redwood Christian Ministries. Hope everybody out there is doing well today. I have my new friend on the show, Pastor Cody Jones. Sir, how are you doing? Good. How are you, man? I'm doing well. I'm doing well, man. I can't complain. I'm on vacation right now. This is phenomenal. It's phenomenal. (laughs) Podcast vacation. Let's go podcast vacation right i'm on vacation yeah. for my full-time job i'm recording like yeah. 18 episodes in the next two weeks some crazy like that so yeah amen so i guess that's a good point by the time this airs i won't be on vacation i'll probably be stressed out all over again looking for another one there you go there you go i'm, I'm gonna make this the funnest podcast out of all 18. you know i appreciate that i appreciate that i'm gonna pull on your energy right now so let's let's make yeah, that happen let's, go. let's let's i'm sitting here rubbing my hands together i just got excited about that let's go <laughs> Let's go. So you and I just met through a mutual friend that we have, but I feel like I've known you my whole life already. I'm so excited to have you on here, man. I I am hyped about this. So um, I'm not even I'm just going to dive right into it. So listen, I want the audience to get a chance to get to know you and hear hear your heart and some of your stories. So where are you from and where did you grow up? Yeah, I'm from uh, Hamilton, Ohio. It's about 40 minutes north of Cincinnati. So I'm a I'm a Cincinnati fan. Uh, so I, I can't go up north with the Browns, <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm from Hamilton. And so I, I lived there for about 24 years of my life before I ever left. I'm happy to have an Ohio boy on here. First of all. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm, I am going to back up. So I don't know if you've had a chance to listen to some of the other episodes, of this podcast, um, I'm not going to fault you for cheering for the team of where you grew up. I'm okay with that. We only attack Dallas Cowboys fans on this podcast. Like that's okay. Okay. Um, yeah, I have a friend that's a Dallas Cowboys fan, so I'll be sure to let him watch this later. And uh, that yeah, that'll be all right. Send him some um, some anointing oil too. We're gonna we're gonna pray for him from a distance. Um, amen. Amen. Talk to him. <laughs> Every time they reference Cowboys, like when they're talking about the Bible, it's never a good thing. You know, you hear things about Eagles all the time. Just let them know. I right. Say. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, there is nothing good about a cowboy. I don't even go through his cowboys. Yeah. <laughs> so, I just lost it. I just lost one guest on the show. That guy's not coming on here at all. So right, right. <laughs> so you have um you have an amazing testimony, man. And I just I wanted you to whatever depth you want to go into, just share with the audience your life story and just some of the things that where you are, where you are now, where God's taking you. But yeah, to whatever level you feel comfortable, I just wanted you to share your life story with the audience. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, like I said, from Hamilton, Ohio, uh, little little city, 40 minutes north of Cincinnati. Uh, I grew up around addiction my whole life. Uh, parents were both drug addicts, mom, dad. Uh, and then that spread out to grandparents, you know, cousins, aunts, uncles, really everyone in my family was drug addicted. And so, uh, as a as a young man, that's what I was raised around. I was not taught how to get a job. 
wasn't raised to get an education necessarily. I, I lived with my grandfather until I was about 12 years old, and he tried his best to keep me in line. He was a sports coach uh, for me, football, basketball. Uh, I was on honor roll in school when he was raising me. And then he passed when I was 12, and that's really where everything went downhill. He he was still a functioning uh, um, drug user. I mean, really, he smoked weed and stuff like that. But he he was he was functional enough to take care of me uh, in that sense. But you know, my my father went into prison when I was nine. Uh, he got a nine year nine and a half year sentence, and so my dad was gone most of my childhood. My mother was drug addicted, uh, prostituting. Uh, in the streets. And that was for all of my I, you know, childhood as well. You know, for me, it's like, I, I don't, I don't have much memory of really as a younger kid, probably from about six, seven years old and under um, maybe a few faint memories here and there, but I, I just don't remember it. And so my parents were around then, um, but just don't, uh, they they were gone probably at the most vitally important years of my life. And so it, it was, uh, you know, and you just learn to roll with the punches. You just think, Hey, I guess this is just how life is. Maybe everyone deals with this. And so I was being raised by my, my grandfather in sports, all that stuff, uh, found a stash of weed in his room with uh, a family that had moved in with us, um, which was his fiance had left my grandmother literally overnight. And uh, so I start smoking weed when I'm 12 um, and, you know, how that story goes. Lo and behold, by the time I'm 14, I've tried uh, obviously alcohol. I'm smoking weed on a daily basis, um, doing cocaine, pills, really anything that's offered to me. And so when my grandfather passed away, that's when I begin to bounce around even more than before. And so I'm just going from home to home. Uh, then I go with my mom's parents. He's. Uh, grandfather's a drug dealer, does his first prison sentence in his 70s for trafficking. Uh, grandmother been to prison for trafficking, mom trafficking, uncle trafficking. It's it's literally the lineage of my family. And so I, I never seen anyone work, really. And um, so 14, my cousin gets me hip here. I, and I'm, you know, I'm doing drugs, but I'm also selling drugs. I, I caught my first case, uh, my first felony when I was 14 for trafficking. Um, so in and out of juvenile detention centers, um, had never been to church, never raised in church, anything like that. And so, you know, I, I tell it like this, when, when you aren't, when you don't have family or your family is very dysfunctional, you'll go somewhere else and find family. And so what I did is I just found a family in the streets, you know, and, and that's why you have things like gangs and all these other things is because people find a family unit per se. And so they, they gravitate to that because they're looking for that. They're looking for loyalty. They're looking for love. They're looking for commitment in all these places because they can't find it in their own home. And so I hung around with 12 friends, probably close to it, 10 to 12 friends that we hung out every day on a daily basis. Um, and we all had the same kind of dysfunctions in our family. Either one of the parents were out of the home, maybe both of them, um, you know, parents, either drug addicts, alcoholics, all these things. So we would just rip and run and do, do what we did. And so here I am in junior high selling drugs, catching cases. Uh, and so I fast forward through all that. Um, when I was 18, my father was released from prison. He was, um, 
he, he did that nine and a half year sentence. He was out. And anyone that's in prison understands that when you're in there, everyone makes the decision to say, you know what, when I get out of here, I'm going to change. Like, I'm going to do things different. I can't afford to keep doing this because in people's heart, they really do want change. They really do want to do things different, but they, they just don't know how to do it. And so, you know, I heard that from my father when he, when I'm getting out, things are going to be different. He gets out uh, when I'm 18 and within one week, he's selling heroin, selling weed. And in a very short period of time, he's getting in shipments of drugs from Arizona, Florida. This is back when uh, the pill uh, doctor shopping was very big. And so, you know, uh, I'm 31 now. So you're thinking that that's 13 years ago. And so my dad gets out. I, I mean, at this point in my life, I worked one job in my life. I was 16. I went and got a job for two weeks just so I could make one paycheck. And once I got that paycheck, I, it was so I could go re-up and get back on uh, with what I was doing before. And so here I am with my dad, still had never worked a job, never done anything like that. And I have more money than I know what to do with. Uh, I have everything that I want, everything that I need. I have a house. I have a, a girlfriend. I have cars. I have guns. I have money. I have drugs. I have friends. I, I, and that's what I'm doing. I'm living my life like this. Like, if you would have asked me, what is your goal in life? I would have told you my biggest goal right now is to become the biggest known drug dealer that there is. That that was it. I, I like I wanted to go to the top and I'm going to do whatever I have to do to get there. Uh, I'm going to burn people. I'm going to hurt people. I'm going to do whatever necessary to make that happen. And so I'm doing that for about a year and a half. And what happens is when I'm 19, uh, close to being 20, when I'm 19, my father has a radical conversion with Jesus Christ. Mm. And so he uh, he's on the verge of going back to prison. He is uh, still on parole. He's done from an adult, he's done 16 and a half years in prison. He's 42. So 16 years in as an adult, eight years out. So his track record is not good. He just did nine and a half and he's still on parole for that very thing. Uh, and he gets caught up and he's on the verge of going back to prison. And so he's facing some very big charges, felony trafficking charges, felony two, felony three trafficking charges. And um, my father starts going to church. And, you know, I tell people like this, the only thing that I knew about church because I was not raised in church. If you would ask me to go to church, I would have laughed. Uh, I would have cursed your God. And I would have told you if I go in that place, that place is going to burn to the ground because if there was a God, he does not want me in his church because I'm too messed up. And so my, um, the only thing I knew about church was one verse from a rap song. It was, if you're scared, go to church. Right. That, that's that's all that I knew. My 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 way of thinking about God was shaped by rap music and all these other things. So if you're scared, go to church. So I thought, yeah, if I was about to go back to prison, I'd go to church, too. I mean, you know, we've all prayed those prayers. Well, I shouldn't say we all, but people like myself, you know, I anytime I preach to people, that's what I tell them. It's like I know those prayers you prayed. You go into jail and you pray. You, you don't even know God. But you say, God, if you get me out of here, I'll be at church on Sunday. Yep. And, you know, you, you never show up. But but the, the truth is, is God still answered that prayer and you were willing to to make a desperate call in your time of need. And so people and, and people like us, where we come from, we know that God's real because we know that the devil's real because we've seen all the things that we've seen. We've been around all that evil. Come on. And so after about six weeks of watching my father. I realized he's changing. Like he's not just going to church. I, and my dad's a lot different than me. He's about six, two, 
250 pounds, uh, tattoos sleeved up on his arms, legs, chest, whole back, you know, like he, like basically he looks like if he punched you in the face, it would hurt, you know, like somebody you don't want to mess. And I knew my dad, my dad was violent. My dad did not play games. My dad hurt people and he was a big drug dealer. And I thought, man, and now he's changing. He's not smoking. He's not cussing. He's not violent. He's not selling. He's working a job, making like $10 an hour. And I'm thinking what happened to him? And so eventually what happened was my father was like, look, I want you to come listen to me. Cause I was living at their house at this point. I, it was funny because right when my dad got saved, like literally probably, probably a couple weeks after he got saved, my uh, everything came crashing down in my life. Like I, I, I had a lot of money, like fifty, sixty thousand dollars saved up in cash. I'm like, what, you know? And then all of a sudden, here, here's what happens: you start catching cases, right? You start losing money. You start paying for lawyers. You're paying for house arrest. And all of a sudden, I can't leave my house. My money starts dwindling down to the point where I'm at. I have two grand to my name. I have. Uh, I still have my house and my vehicle, but what happens is I, I, I'm, I get caught cheating on my girlfriend. She comes home. I leave with my money and I leave everything else that I own there. I come back 12, probably eight hours later and the house is completely empty of all my stuff. And so that day I moved in with my dad and it was like within weeks at every, I, I was up here and then within weeks, everything was gone. You know, there's a scripture in the Bible that says, uh, where where God addresses his people and say, he says, you're like people that are carrying around money, putting it into your pockets with holes in it. And every wow. time you reach back in there, it's gone. And so that that's how sin is. Sin, it, 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 it get, it's pleasurable for a season. That's why people do it. Sin is not displeasing. Sin is not boring. Sin is actually very fun. And that's why people do it. But it's pleasurable for a moment until you're held captive by it and until you're a slave to it. And I realized you did all this and you you have literally nothing to show for it. You have my car broke down. I lose my house. I lose everything within 24 hours. Like I have what I have. And then 24 hours later, it's gone. And so here I am living with back at my parents house. And, you know, they're not like beating me across the head about church. They're just. This is when I'm watching, like, what, what's going on? They're in, he's in church seven days a week. I'm thinking, who the heck goes to church seven days a week? You know, I, I, I didn't understand any of that. And so I'm just still trying to keep my head afloat. And eventually he's like, hey, look, why don't you come listen to me uh, speak at a homeless shelter? Um, and, you know, probably because he knew he couldn't get me to come to a church. It, it, it's I, I just wasn't there yet. I wasn't there. He's like, come listen to me speak at a homeless shelter. So I thought, you know what? To please my dad, I'll go listen to him speak. And at this point in my life, I'm doing, uh, you know, weed, very addicted to pills, uh, opiates, uh, you know, doing cocaine, all this stuff. And so I'm completely out of my mind. I go to that place. I'm like so high out of my mind. I'm nodding out the entire time. And basically my dad's sermon was this. In essence, I couldn't tell you the whole thing, but basically what he said was, he said, son, I've been your hero your whole life. Like you've looked up to me, you wanted to be like me. He said, but today I, I'm asking that I won't be your hero anymore. He said, I want Jesus Christ to be your hero. Come on. And so, you know, there was a lady sitting across from me and she said, son, can I pray for you? And I said, yeah, you can pray for me. Um, 
I was high out of my mind. By the time she got done praying like that, I was completely sober. I, it, it was super. I had a supernatural experience where I was completely sober in one moment. And I was so freaked out by it. You know, I, I don't even know if that's the day I gave my life to Christ. I really don't know that I could pinpoint it. It was God was leading me. Did I pray a prayer? Possibly. But I knew one thing when I the way that I came in there and the way that I left were two different things. And I was so thrown off by that. I thought I need to get high like immediately like that has messed me up. <laughs> you know, it, when people like you hear pe- preachers say, and I think people just think this is like religious talk. There ain't no high like the most high. I mean, when you actually have a real encounter with God, you understand that there is no high like the most high, like like God supersedes all of that. And, and until it's, I, I didn't shake a preacher's hand. I didn't sign a card. I didn't do any of that. And, and what happened was, is after that happened, my dad was like, all right, look, now come to church with me. And I said, all right, I'll come to church one time. I go into church. There's probably 40 people there, small little church. There's a pastor, long black hair, big beard, like playing i was like what is this a led zeppelin concert i don't know what this is, right? like where it's dark you know and, and and my dad's sitting up front and i'm sitting in the very back and this preacher starts talking and like he starts mentioning stuff like um he's talking about like smoking weed and these other things and i'm thinking what is this guy talking about it, and for me it was like everything he was saying was speaking directly to me and every time that he would say something that was like parallel with my life, my dad would turn around and he would look at me and smile. And so I think what most people think, my dad done went and told the preacher everything about my life. So here we are, you know, so he's preaching directly to me. But I, and now I tell people like this, when the Holy Ghost has your number, I, the preacher could come in and tell you a nursery rhyme and the Holy Ghost will still convict you because he's he, he's putting his finger on your life and saying, hey, I'm drawing you. I'm calling you. And so I realized it wasn't about what the preacher was saying. It's about what God was saying to me about what the preacher was saying. And, and God had my number that day. And at the end of that service, that preacher made what we call to be an altar call. If you need to come up here and give your life to Christ. And, and I walked, I got up from that back seat. I don't know. I don't even know why I got up. It was, it was almost like a supernatural force pushed me to the front of that room because no one else got up. It was just me. I got up. I, I, I took that, that walk from the back of that church to the front, which was only about 20 feet. And when I came up, they started to surround me. And, the, and, and one of the men said, can we lay hands on you? Now, where I come from, laying hands on people is not prayer. You get right. what I'm saying? Yeah, like feel, yeah. Hand, you know, and so I'm thinking, I'm well, from Kansas, I guess, I I, yeah, I guess I'm not going to preach her out at the altar today. So yeah, whatever <laughs> you feel like you need to do, let's go. And so no, but they, what the, they begin to pray for me, man. And I'm telling you the power of God came on me in such a way. Every time I tell the story, I can feel the tangible anointing come on me the same way that it came on me that day. And it, it was the only way that I could describe it was, it was like my, I was on fire. It was like I was being electrocuted. I, I could not explain what was happening. My whole body was uh, shaking. It, it, it was, I was, I was crying uncontrollably. I, I was snotting. I, I, I didn't understand what was happening to me. It was so powerful that my body went numb. Like I couldn't feel the inside of my mouth. I couldn't feel my face like and it, 
this, this is not cocaine. This is like a raw encounter with the power of God. It was like I was connected to an electric bolt that was just lighting me up. But here's this was my realization when I was at that altar. There's a God in heaven who created me and he loved me. And everything that I've ever done in my life, every sin, every memory that was passing through my mind was not against people. Everything that I did was directly against him. And he loved me. And I thought, why wouldn't I give my life to a God like this? I, I was undone, man. I, I was literally overwhelmed by the love of God. It was, I thought, how in the world could a God like this want anything to do with someone like me? And that day changed the trajectory of my life. Immediately, I went back and started telling all my friends that I'd get high with, you know, you got to come to church. And they're like, all right, let's go. And so here I am going to church with my dad and having handfuls of friends come with me, getting touched by God, being radically encountered by God. It, it was a powerful thing. And it was, but, but so what happened was, is, Right before I got saved, I was facing some felony charges. So I, I caught some charges. A month later, I get saved. So I had to go do uh, a little bit of time after that. Um, after I got saved, I had to go do six months. And so I literally was in jail, just started reading my Bible, like literally knew nothing. You got different denominations coming in here and preaching. And I, I didn't understand anything. All I knew was that one encounter that I had changed my life. And I couldn't find that anywhere. I was looking for that again. I wasn't finding it in jail. I didn't, I didn't have any, I wasn't being discipled. And so ultimately what happened was that I was 19 then for the next five years until I was 24 years old, I, I was on a merry-go-round of my life. And basically I would be in the church for six months. I'd be out of the church for six months. I would go back in, I'd come back out to the world. And so what happened really was that I was lacking discipleship. And if, if there's anything that I see that the church lacks today, it's discipleship. There's no real discipleship because discipleship is not a one hour Bible study that you do once a week. You, you cannot equate that to discipleship. Jesus's discipleship was this. Come and follow me. And you have to have people that you can walk with and follow. And so that's what I did for five years. I just didn't have that. I didn't have anyone to follow. So here I am. I was hungry for the power of God, but I, I didn't understand anything. And so 24 years old, I've been in nine programs, rehabs, started going into them when I was 15. At 24 years old, um, I'd start using again for about a couple, uh, maybe six weeks. And I knew, I was like, man, if I don't do something about this now, I already know where this heads. I'm going to lose everything I have, and it's going to be start from square one again. And so I thought, you know what? I'm going to try to go into this place that I heard about. I was going to these Friday night river meetings up in Kentucky for, with a pastor named Cuddy Keith. Still go there to this day. Incredible man of God. Um, and I thought, man, I heard him talking about a program. I need to find out about that place. And so I ended up in a program called Heritage House, which is in Cincinnati, Ohio. I went in there January 25th of uh, 2016. And so basically at this point, I have been in church, I've preached, I've been in leadership, and I literally could not stay clean. I, I couldn't do it. I, I was like, I was like your modern day Pharisee. I was like, 
I could quote you a hundred Bible verses with my eyes closed while I was high on heroin, but I, I couldn't stay off drugs. And so I go into this program programs, nine months long. It offers an additional nine month internship. The Lord had spoke to me within my first month there and told me, you need to do this whole 18 months. Cause the Lord started speaking to me. He said, your problem is, is you're unwilling to finish anything. You won't finish anything. You start, you always quit. And I thought, all right, I'll do 18 months. I'm doing 18 months, Lord. And then he started dealing with me and saying, you're not going back to your parents' house after this. He said, and this is how the Lord would speak to me. Cody, you're a grown man. That's not your house. That's your parents' house. All you do is live in the basement and eat their food. And so I, I within 30 days, I had my mind made up. I'm doing, this time is going to be different. I'm doing whatever it takes. If I have to stay at this place for 10 years until I can get on my feet, that's what I'm going to do. I was in that program for 18 months. Uh, I graduated. When I went in, there was only four people, four people in the program. By the time I was graduating my uh, um, program, we probably had around 20, maybe 18, 20. And then by the time I got done with my internship, we were at about 40. And so, well, maybe about 30, 35, 30 or 35 probably. And so they hired me on at the church. and. Uh, I was just like a bus boy. I just would run around, pick up food. I wasn't in the heritage house anymore. Uh, I was living on church property. And so people say, well, what was your job description? And, you know, one of Pastor Cleddy asked his father-in-law one time, he said, he said, you're the pastor of this church. So what am I? Am I your assistant or am I your associate? He said, well, if you abbreviate both those words, you're the same thing. And so that that's pretty much what I was. I, I was just someone running around being a bus boy, doing what I had to do. And uh, within about six weeks, this supernatural uh, scenario had taken place where the Lord had put me back in, the, in, in position at the house where I became the house manager. I've been managing that program for five and a half years. Uh, and we run on average between 70 and 75 guys at all times. It, it, and it, it is unprecedented. It is next level. It's Holy Ghost and fire. It's discipleship. It's not your, we don't take government funding. We're not, it, this isn't a 12 step meeting that we, we put our guys in Holy Ghost filled services four times a week on a minimum and, and put the fire of God on them and let God change their life. And we disciple them. We, we put them to work, work therapy. And so I've been managing that program for five and a half years. And, the, and so you know, this coming January 25th will be seven years that the Lord set me free and I've never went back. Like it, mm-hmm. it, it was a, it was a done deal. Like the, the nail was driven in the coffin on this one. And so I, I've seen God do unprecedented things over the past seven years, man. I mean, I, I have traveled the nation um, preaching the gospel, been to uh, Pine Ridge Indian Reservation in South Dakota. I've been up to North Dakota. I, I, I've been down to uh, I mean, I'm trying to think everywhere we've been. We've been everywhere. We've been all over the states, man. And, and God has done amazing things in my life. You know, and one of the great things that I've seen is I, I've seen God literally rescue almost all my friends that I grew up with. Like God has put his finger on them. And, and so, you know, he, here's what I, I realized. The, the thing in my life that I despise, being bounced around from house to house, going from school district to school district and being around so many different scenarios, I thought, man, this is 
the worst thing ever. Like, you know, I need a, I need stability in my life. God used that unstable portion of my life was really what the devil didn't understand is he was introducing me to people. And now today, all the people that the devil introduced me to, God has gotten the glory for because now they're being encountered by God and being saved. And so what I thought was a dysfunction in my life, God used it. And that's why the Bible teaches us. The first Corinthians tells us, had the powers of this world known what they were doing, they never would have crucified Jesus because, because it was the wisdom of the world. But in God's mind, it was his wisdom and saying, you think you're about to get a victory, but really you're about to suffer defeat. And that's what I look at today, that what the devil thought he was going to use to kill me has actually been the greatest victory that I've ever seen in my life. How do I know that? Because we see 100,000 people dying every year from drug overdose. And so God is using the, the pandemic we're up against right now is not COVID. It's not a virus. It, it, the, one of the biggest pandemics that we're looking at right now is drug abuse. And so God has put me on the front lines of a pandemic for the gospel, man, to preach this gospel to people that are addicted, to see them set free and come to Christ. And I've seen countless people come to, come, come to Christ that, that I grew up with, not on top of all the other people. And so uh, about two years ago, uh, I would witness to my mother. You know, I, we led my grandfather to the Lord right before his path, right before he passed. I preached his funeral. Um, you know, my mother led her to the Lord about two years ago. Uh, now she's saved and she runs a woman's program, faith-based discipleship program. God saved my father, saved me, saved my mother, saved my sister. God has been saving my family. He's been saving my friends. And, and it, it's been incredible, man, just to see what the Lord has been able to do in this short period of time. You know, and so like right now, I got I got a house full of guys over there that uh, I'll go see today once I'm done talking with you. And multiple of them are people that I used to get high with. And uh, one of those guys, it, 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 I won't go into it, but it, it's just, it's amazing, man. And so what has happened is that that's what's been happening the past seven years. Um, this year in general, uh, during January of the fast, uh, we do a fast every year at the beginning of the year. The Lord spoke to me and my wife to launch out in the ministry, evangelistic ministry. And so we launched up Cody Jones Ministries and we've been traveling um, our, our first year out. I think we did around 64 evangelistic meetings traveling. We've been anywhere from uh, New Hampshire to, to, to Massachusetts to uh, trying to think everywhere that we went. Uh, all, we've been going all over Kentucky, Ohio, Indiana. Um, and, and God's just been moving, man. And so we're, we're just traveling, preaching the gospel, contending for revival. And so, and, and we're seeing people raised up in the power of God and doing what God has called them to do. And so that's what I'm doing in my life today as of right now. Man, you said so many, many good things. I'm going to see if I can put my memory to the test right now. So but you know, one of the things that really stuck out was the price of sin. You know, if if you had to pay for sin right when you committed it, the effects would be so so much different. Yeah, like it. Yeah, would people always, wouldn't sin. <laughs> yeah, it would. It always. I don't know whoever. I don't know who said this, but they always talk about sin will keep you longer than you want to stay, and it's going to cost you more than you're willing to pay. It's yeah. because you don't have to pay that price up front. Yeah. It, it's it it's there's it's always there for 
for a season and it feels fun in the moment, but it's like, it's like credit, man. It's like that, that payment is coming back with interest and you don't know if it's going to be 17%, 20%, 30%, but it is going to cost you more than you realize at some point. Yeah. You know, and, and that's why you hear people say today, you hear preachers say, well, God doesn't look at sin any different than any other sin. Yeah. Well, sin is sin, but there are different consequences for sin. If 100%. I go and steal a pack of bubble gum from the store today, or if I go rob a bank, it's both sin. But one of them is going to get me jail for about 30 days. The other one's going to get me jail for about 10 years. So the consequence of sin and, and preachers today have a light regard for sin. You know, what? one of my pastors, he makes a statement. He says, wherever there is a light regard for sin in the pulpit, it, it it causes a light regard for sin in the church, which then goes over into the world. So the reason the world's in the shape of sin is not because of the world. It's because of the church, because preachers have made a light regard for sin. And so, you know, we, we we're too afraid to offend people. The church is not supposed to look like the world. Right. Because if it does, why would they come? Why would they come in those doors if it looks like everything else that they're doing and or everything else they're trying to avoid? Why, right. why would you come in there? There's already the stigma, the stereotypes, whatever. If it looks like everything, it's not supposed to look like everything else. Right. The, 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 it's, it's supposed to, Jesus lived countercultural to, to what we, to our comfort zone. It's not supposed to be that. I literally just had this discussion with the, with the leaders. Um, well, by the time this airs, it'll be a few months, but the, um, I had this discussion with some of my leaders on, on the outreach team, cause we are revamping. We're in the process right now, revamping how we do outreach at our, at our church. It's we're looking at 100% soul winning and then also healing and deliverance along, along with that, you know? So and I'm, you know, I'm paraphrasing because this is your interview. Yeah. I don't want to tell what we're doing, but that's, no, that's, you're good. You're good. that's the short version yeah. of it. Because, and I told them, I said, but please understand a huge component of this, especially as leaders in the church is how you live. Yeah. Because you're going to have a real hard time telling somebody to stop drinking while you're drinking. You're going to have a real hard time to tell somebody not to be in a bar because you feel like you can handle them and they can't. Yeah. You have a real hard time telling somebody, oh, don't do this while I'm doing it, because that is that, that is immediately going to be like, well, wait a minute. Why is it OK for you and not OK for me? <laughs> it, yeah, the, there, there was an outreach that came to my city called Hope Over Heroin. And um, this is back in 2014. And this uh, outreach Heritage House is actually a byproduct of that. They have this big outreach that they travel the nation. We've been to Cleveland. We've been all over. And then Heritage House was birthed out of that. But they came to my city in 2014. I was strung out on heroin, track marks all up and down my neck. I weighed about 115 pounds. Mm. And my pastor got up on that stage who, who, who wasn't my pastor at the time. That's my pastor now. His name is Billy Price. And he said, he, he said, how can we ask a drug addict to come to an altar and to give his entire life to Christ, to follow Christ? Yet the church is unwilling to give everything to follow Christ. So Absolutely. you can't you can't preach to a drug addict who knows what it is to literally give up everything for a substance. Like we we threw our lives away, like burnt our own family, rob, steal, thief, do things that are degrading that we never thought we would do for a substance. 
So I understand when someone says you have to give your entire life to Christ. Like to me, I understand that because when you're on drugs, you don't wake up one day and say, you know what? I want to do less drugs than I did yesterday. I want to get less high than I did yesterday. No, you want the raw, uncut, best stuff you can get. And so when I came to God, I wanted the same thing. I'm not here to play games. I'm either in or I'm out. I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I don't straddle a fence. I don't do that. And, and here's a statement that will help people because my dad used to say, you're, you're on the fence. You're one foot in the world, one foot in the church. But here's the lie. The devil has convinced people that there is a fence. There is no fence. You're either in or you're out. And so how can you ask a world to come give their lives to Christ when it's hard enough to get the church to show up on a Sunday morning and an hour and a half service is too long in their opinion. Bruh, I feel you because you, and you said something even um, when you were, when you were sharing your testimony about how many people, and because you said that you said this, and because a lot of my friends said this, I was just reminiscing when you were talking, excuse me. <clears throat> no, you're good. Um, how many of my friends would say, I'm not coming to church because that place is going to burn down if I walk right. in there. And I was with you because when I stopped doing drugs, I didn't go to church for, I wanted, I went to church to see how I could live different because part of my testimony was I had my own gun to my head, ready to take my own life. So for people like us in that case, who have that kind of testimony, I didn't go there for the music and the sound. I didn't know what putting my hands up and worshiping God meant. I didn't know what it meant to, to quote unquote, cry ugly. I knew what it meant to get into a fight in the streets and come there. I didn't, I didn't know this. I'm like, if this book is how I'm supposed to live, then just tell me that. Then just tell me that. So when I went into new life church and I heard my pastor talking about, I I didn't have anything past a third grade education. I used to sucker punch people on Friday nights. I was an alcoholic. I was doing this, that, and the other. I was like, I literally just sat back and I'm like, this is church. This is, this is, where is this at? Cause I, I grew up going to Catholic school in a Baptist church. I'm like, this was, I'd never heard preachers talking like this. Right. So people want people, even though they don't say it, they want that, that the authenticity of, of the gospel. And we have a responsibility to bring that to them and not water that down and, and sugarcoat that we, the church, Honestly, man, you nailed it for me because that's why the vision of Redwood Christian Ministries is be the church to get yes. out and actually live it based off how the yes. Bible says it, not how someone's comfort zone is willing to accept it. Yeah, absolutely. So I feel like I'm going to, I feel like this is not going to be a short, a short episode. We might have to come <laughs> back and do a part two of this. Um is there anything else you want to tell us about um, about Heritage House that may be coming up or what they're doing or yeah. anybody wants to get involved and volunteer? Yeah, I would say this. If you have someone that's addicted that needs help, uh, I, we don't have a women's facility, but I'm connected to women's facilities. But our program is uh, free of charge, uh, doesn't cost you money. You don't need insurance. Uh, and we can do same day intake. If you have someone that's looking for help and wants to change their life for good, I could help you. Uh, and, you know, I, I guess I could put the number on here. Um, or you could go to our website, which is www.heritage.house. Uh, but 
if you have a family member, I'd love to help your family member, whether that's a son or a father or a brother or a friend. Um, our intake line is 513-910-4040. That's 513-910-4040, which is a direct line to my phone, which I would do your interview. It takes about 10 minutes. But yeah, other than that, man, I mean, you know, we, we're making space for people that want to change their life. You say, well, you, do you only take drug addicts? I take anyone that wants to be discipled to Christ, anyone that wants to change their life for good. Um, you know, we've had every kind of addict come in there. We, we've had people that have never done drugs come in there. And so, you know, it's we 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 call it a rehab to help the world understand. You know, but the truth is, we're not trying to rehab anything. We're trying to make you a new creation in Christ and give you a whole new life. And so that that's available for anyone. And yeah, if someone wants to volunteer, they're more than able to reach out. You know, we like I said, we do do travel and do outreach and things like that and uh, love to get connected somehow. You know, even if that's speaking into something you already do in your own church, whether that's like a you know recovery meeting or something of that sort. A lot of places that I travel now through the evangelistic ministry, I go to places that deal a lot with recovery, you know, uh, obviously. And we've had people come back from those places, you know. So when we go into a place, we can bring you back with us, which is great because you, you've got to get people when they're ready, right there when they're ready and, and just, you know, make that decision to come back. You just gave me an idea for an outreach. I'm going to touch base with you about that once we once we get off of here. Yeah. If you still have time, you just yeah. gave me a thought yep. in my head. Um, what advice would you give? Because you obviously have experience with this and we all know our testimony is for someone else. The things that we, that we went through. And I tell you a lot of my testimony has come from my places of pain, some of my mistakes or some of my just disobedience, but yeah. I see how God worked had together with the people that he brought around me. I used to use my voice to tell people to get drunk, get high, do all kinds of things. And it was very interesting because, and I might've mentioned this to you when we, when we talked, you know, I used to weigh over 300 pounds. So I had to go to the gym to physically start training to get in better shape. And I noticed that when I got saved, I started talking to guys in the gym about Jesus. And then they started following me to church. I didn't right. even know what an evangelist yeah. was. I was just talking to people about experiences in my life. I, I wasn't yeah. well versed enough in the Bible. Yeah. I was just some new dude who just got off drugs, who was just like, all right, well, I'm fat and I need to go to the gym. Let me talk to you about what's going on. I'm doing on Sunday. Like that was it, you know? Um, <laughs> right. And so what, what advice would you give to someone who is battling or struggling with an addiction? What would you say to them? Well, I would say don't trust the world. Um, cause the world system is to put you on more drugs to get you off of drugs. That's real. Come on. Uh, you know, uh, this is one of the hardest things you deal with as a minister of addiction is the world has painted a picture that they have good intentions to help, which they do, but we've seen that they don't have the answer. My, my advice, anyone struggling with an addiction is find a Holy ghost filled church and find people that you can follow, find people that are willing to share their life with you. If all they're willing to do is have you show up for two hours on a Sunday, but won't have anything to do with you outside of that, find a different church, find people that will share their life with you. And, uh, 
keep pressing into God. I mean, you know, one of the thing biggest person for addiction is you just can't give up. You you have to you have to keep pressing in no matter what, because you've burnt so many bridges in your life. You've made so many bad decisions over time that when you start to go after the Lord, the enemy is going to do everything in his power to try to get you to go back. And he'll use whatever he can. He'll use your children. He'll use work. He'll use your health. He'll use whatever he can to try to prevent you. And you, you like for me, I'm different because a lot of people, they just pity people that are addicted. I don't pity people. I have compassion for people, right? but I'm a bulldog. And my kind of mindset is you have to have a mindset that says, I'm not going to be stopped. I can't be stopped. I can't be prevented. How do I know? Because people that are in addiction already live with that mindset before that I'm going to do whatever it takes to make this happen, to get high. And so that mindset already lives within you and you have to make up your mind. I'm going after God, no matter what, I don't care who comes with me. If I have to go by myself, but find a Holy ghost filled church and people that will share their life with you. That would be my, my biggest piece of advice. Why do you think um, when some people struggle with addiction, saying whatever the case might be like, they may not reach out for help. Uh, well, I think that could be a multiple things. Um, number one, if someone won't reach out for help, it's because they ultimately don't want help. How do I know? Because when you go out to the streets and do outreach and find people that are in bad scenarios, uh, and you offer them help, well, that's what I mean. Like you can't, if you're homeless, I could give you so many stories, dude, of people that I've run into, you know, if you're homeless, eating out of trash cans, living under a bridge, and I come to you and say, hey, I have a place that you can go right now, like you can get in my car and come back. And you have an excuse like, well, I can't leave my girlfriend or, um, you know, oh, I can't have a cell phone. I can't do that then. it's It shows me that your excuses are what rule your life and you really don't want change. And so number one, what prevents people from coming? Cause here's the thing. I don't deal with drugs and alcohol. Mm -hmm. I deal with sin. Sin right. is the root. If I continually cut branches off the tree, then the branch will grow back. But if I deal with the root, what's the root sin. So if, if what would prevent somebody, the number one would be it's sin. But if someone really wants to change, and has thoughts of, well, I just can't make the decision right now. I would say it probably would have to do with shame and guilt. Mm. It, it, it's either, it's either you don't want to change or there's just too much shame and guilt. And, and you know, maybe people have been uh, offered. I could say this for sure. People have been offered help from Christians or church people, but they didn't have the right help. And so they couldn't actually help them. And so what would prevent someone from coming to get help is probably they would say, well, I've already tried that before and it didn't work. Mm. But that's why I said you can't give up because I tried a lot of times and I used to live with the thought, I don't know if I'm ever going to change. Maybe this is just how I'm going to be my whole life. But I didn't allow that to prevent me. You know, you can't be a victim.
What that that's what prevents people from getting help. They they claim the role of a victim because the world has empowered that message. You are a victim. You deserve for people to pity you and to answer your, to your beckoning call. But no, you need to man up. You need to get some backbone and start making grown people decisions and saying, you know what? I've screwed my life up. This is where it's at. God, I'm putting my life in your hands. Do what you will with my life. I'm going to do everything I can. And so, you know, you have to overshift. You just have to make the choice. I'm doing whatever I got to do. To anyone listening, no matter what they may be, whatever, whatever they may be struggling with, what would you like them to know about Jesus? Jesus is, he, he's bigger than you think he is. Um, scripture says that eye is not seen, ear is not heard. It's not even entered into your heart, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. And so if, if I could tell you anything about the Lord, he's bigger than you think he is. And he can do exceedingly and abundantly above all that you could ever ask or think. He's a, he's a God worth trusting. Because he has no bad track record. He's never broken trust. He's always did what he said he would do. And so um, Jesus wants to bring you out of whatever mess you're in. He'll come to you right where you're at. He's, he's not, God's not intimidated by your doubt or your unbelief. But if he comes to encounter you, he will not allow you to stay there. He, he asked you to come higher. He asked you to come further with him. He asked you to come and follow him. And so Jesus, his love is not in question. Man's love is in question. God's already done everything that he could do for you. He sent his own son, shed his blood, poured out his spirit. He's given you every opportunity to make things right and to come and live the best life, the most adventurous life that you could ever have, way beyond anywhere that you've ever been. So good. You, you touched on this, um, you touched on it earlier, but I just wanted to just to bring this back because we're going to share all of the all the links and everything that you're a part of along with this episode so people can easily find it if they need it. Talk yeah. to us just a little bit more about um, about Cody Jones ministry, like if any other detail, anything else you want to share about that just for the audience. Yeah. And so so basically what happened was I, I had started traveling a little bit, um, going places, preaching people invite me out and, uh, you know. During the fat, I, I knew that ministry was in my future. I just didn't know when, which the Heritage House is ministry. But I knew right. that I was called to the fivefold ministry. I've known that for years. I've known, I've known that almost right after I got saved, probably within a couple of years after I got saved. When I started getting around that, I could feel the draw of it. That This is what I'm, I'm called to give my entire life to, to the ministry. And um, I thought it was a few years down the road. Uh, we do a fast every year. In January, we're doing one this year from January 2nd to 22nd, 21 days. And um, the Lord has given us a lot of direction over the years during that fast. And we were in the fast this year. And uh, come January, we were praying. And the Lord spoke to me and my wife and said, I want you to launch out into ministry. I want you to take the step of faith into evangelistic ministry. So I'm an evangelist. I travel. I, I preach the gospel, see people saved. Um, saved, healed, delivered. I, I would say my, my heart, um, my, my number one pursuit is to contend for revival. And so 
when, when, you know, we'll go out and see people saved come to Christ. I've seen countless people come to Christ from going out and preaching, but I also believe that the church needs to be awakened. And so an evangelist has a twofold ministry when the lost and to equip the church. And so I, that's what we do. We, we win the loss and we equip the church. And, and I believe that the church needs equipped. So a lot of what I do is I go around and try to do extended meetings. Um, you know, a week, go to a place for a week, two meetings a day, uh, you know, 10 a.m., 7 p.m. Because the, the, I'm following a pattern of people that have gone before us that seen our nation shaken by God. And there was a pattern. It, it's not. I'm not trying to be them. I'm telling you what helped, what worked for me, like what changed my life. It it was putting myself in the anointing, putting myself in the presence of God day after day, day after day, day after day. That's what I mean. You can't, we, we, we have to consume our lives with the kingdom of God. And so that's what we do. We travel and we contend for revival. We, we go to awaken the church wherever we're at and to equip the saints to go out and do the work of the ministry and to win the loss and to see them come to Christ. So I'm just going to, cause I want to actually dive into that one piece a little bit more. Evangelist has two roles. Yeah. So talk to it. What all goes into that equipping? Yeah. I mean, wow. It, <laughs> this, this might be uh, some powerful revelation to some people or mind blowing. But um, a lot of churches you go to today, if I was to equip the saints, uh, most people in church don't even know how to win souls. They, 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 this is what you see in the modern church. People don't know how to witness. People don't know how to pray. People, I, I, I don't know what they know, to be honest. And so what I, I come to do is to put the same fire that's on me, on you. How is that possible? Because Paul told Timothy, he said, stir up the gift that is in you, the, the fan, the flame, the inner flame that's in you, which was given to you by the laying on of hands, which was through impartation. So what's on us, we make tangible to put on people. And so when I come to equip, I, I come to put the fire of the Holy Ghost on you. Because I'm not here to preach a work-based message to you and say, hey, go out and do, do, do. No, when you have an encounter with God, like you said, no one told you what an evangelist was. When you had an encounter, it produced evangelism in you, right? And so when we go to equip people, I'm not trying to make people like me. I'm saying whatever area you're in, whatever realm you're in, if you're a businessman, do it by the fire of God. Do it by the wisdom of God. Allow the Holy Ghost to come upon you and, and, and speak to you and guide you and direct you to, to make your business about the kingdom. Uh, it, you know, if you work at McDonald's, go in there and be the best McDonald's worker that's ever existed and win souls while you're in there and, and bring people to church, bring people to Christ. And, and, and so teaching people to yield to the Holy Ghost. Most people have no clue how to do that. They have no clue how to yield to the Spirit of God. You, you look at people in church, if you go and look around, people look dead. They they look like they have no life. They they look like they're watching a soap opera. I, I don't know what they're doing, but me, I'm pushing the kingdom of God, and, and you're either going to be hungry and thirsty for God, 
or you're not going to enjoy being in my meetings. And so, um, yeah, I mean, we, we equip people the same way that Jesus did go out, heal the sick, cast out devils, raise the dead, preach the gospel. You don't have to be a pastor of a church. You can do that wherever you're at. I, I could tell you right now, I could tell you stories for hours of encounters that I've had with people outside of a church building that were supernatural. And then I could go for another couple hours and tell you of supernatural things that have happened in the church during meetings. It's you do both, you know, you don't have to pick between the two. You, you, you throw yourself into both. And so you, you have to begin to bring that spirit of revival in whatever realm that you live in, whether you're a business person, a preacher, government worker, you're in the schools, that that's what we need all around the board. I appreciate um, you sharing that because this is personal for me. That was that question was personal for me because you uh, you just brought confirmation to everything I'm doing in my church with our with our outreach team. You really did. That's why I was I wanted to to ask that. Um, yeah. So I appreciate that. And Amen. I got some obedience to do. I might have to end this a little bit quicker because now I'm sitting here getting antsy. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I got like 13. You just I got like 13 emails to send right now. Like I'm about to cut yeah. this short. <laughs> Amen. Um, this is a question that I have because I think this is necessary for people to hear because you're going to be, you are the first guest to come on here that I'm asking this question to, because I feel like there's some confusion around this topic. What yeah. does revival mean to you? Okay. In order to revive something, it must first have been alive, right? So, uh, I, I use it. The only example I know how, if you're a heroin addict and you overdose, you die and you need Narcan to be, be brought back to life. You're alive, but you're on the verge of death. You're just breathing. You're just existing. You're not functional. The, the role of the evangelist, the, let me say it like this. I, I'm just saying that because of my office, but right, I hear you. Every Christian's role is to bring revival. Come on. You 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 are a revivalist. And, and so that means what what I believe that means in its simplest form that God should be able to put you anywhere and what you carry should be able to change what is happening there. It, I mean it you know like if if you work at I'll give you an example. One of my friends is a uh came through our program he is uh in his 50s he's a manager or he is a he's the manager of loss prevention at a walmart this walmart was the most stolen from walmart back like a couple years ago it's in cincinnati it has no self-checkout lanes they have police on site it's a horrible <laughs> i despise going to that Walmart. I will never go to that Walmart again. Great place to Christmas shop. Yeah. But he, yeah. I mean, they come in and they have people steal stuff and run right out the door. And so, uh, but he worked, they hired him to work in loss prevention because it was the most stolen from Walmart in America. What does revival look like to him? It looks like being able to go in and change what something was into something better and beyond what it was. And that's exactly what he's done. And I'm using that as, as an example because I know everyone that watches aren't isn't will say, well, I'm not a preacher. So I just do that to 
uh, disarm you from your excuse of, well, you got to be a preacher to do that. For me, to bring revival is to come in and bring breakthrough. It, it, that's really what an evangelist does. He comes and breaks through every wall, everything that is resistant to the spirit of God. We're coming in and we're laying it down and we're allowing God to do what he wants to do. And so to see, like, I, I think, I don't know if I told you this when we talked before, but if you go on social media, every church that exists says they're in revival. But pictures do not equate to revival. Your social media posts do not equate to revival. Give me stories. Give me testimony of what God is doing. And if you look all throughout the book of Acts, the book of Acts constantly lived in revival. How do I know? Because they were constantly on the move. They were seeing God. They were going into places that had no temples and preaching the gospel. And God was saving entire cities. So you. Uh, my pat one of my pastors he says this he says whenever there there's never been a time that revival was not because there's never been a time that Jesus was not Jesus is revival he is revival and so wherever Jesus is he makes dead things come back to life what does the church need the church needs awakened the church needs revived the church needs to open up its eyes and so you know, I love going out and winning the loss, but I love at the same time, it, it frustrates me the shape that a lot of churches are in that I go to. It, it bothers me because how can you win more souls by reviving the church? Because if you have more people going out and doing the work of the ministry, this is the evangelist job, just the fivefold to offer your gift to the church to equip the saints to go out and do the work of the ministry. So if I can awaken a church that has a hundred people in it, then I have a hundred more workers than just me trying to go out and do it on my own. And so people need to be revived. They, they need that fresh breath of God on their life again, where you, where you talk to them and you know, man, this person is on fire for the Lord. They love Jesus. They're doing everything in their, life to empower the kingdom of God. They're, they're sowing their money. They're giving their time. They're, they're prayer warriors. They, they are, you know, they're committed Christians. And so that's how I look at it, man. Revival. What is revival? It's the power to do what is not being done. It, it is the power to take what is dead and bring it back to life. Hey, thank you. You just brought confirmation yep. to something else. I'm taking notes while you're talking right yeah, now. Yeah, let's I'm go. Taking notes let's while go. you're talking right now. So, um, but so, let me say this too. Yeah. A lot of churches, let, let me say this the people in the church, a lot of times, want revival. They want a move of God. A lot of places that I've been, the people are hungry. The leadership is not. You know, uh, I'm a young guy, man. I'm 31. I go into places and I know how pastors look at me. They think, been there, done that, bought the T-shirt. Good job. You're doing a good job, buddy. It, it, they almost treat you like uh, if your six-year-old came up and drew you a picture and you'd say, oh, isn't that cute? Thank you so much. You know, that's how they treat you as a minister. Like, oh, that's cute. Leadership, preachers. 
need to be hungry for God again. Preachers need revived. How do I know? Because I've sat in some of their services and they suck. They, there's no there's no movement of the Holy Ghost. They're, they're, they're trying to impress people and they don't know how to yield to the Holy Ghost and allow the Spirit of God to flow through them. They, they don't know how to do that. It's the, the, the American church has gotten rid of the spiritual aspect of Christianity. You tell, tell me this. How many people do you hear? These are the type of people I like to hang around. People that speak like this. They say things like the Lord spoke to me or I felt in my spirit. Yep. You don't hear people do that anymore. And that they make it like it's an old thing. But I hang around people and I'm the type of person that says the Lord spoke to me. Because when I got around Christianity and the first time I heard someone say the Lord spoke to me, it did something on the inside of me. I thought, oh, my gosh, this guy just said the Lord spoke to him. Like, how do you do that? And that, so I just started to press into God and I realized, no, God will speak to anybody. And so we, we, we need to see revival in leadership because you can bring revival. I, I've seen it happen. I've, I went to a church that was shut down for five months Had had literally, there was, there, there was one person there. That individual was the pastor, the deacon and the newest member. We went, we did 10 days of meetings, and we just did night meetings. By the end of that, there were we were having an average of 60 to 70 people showing up every night, people getting saved, people being equipped from a church that was shut down and had one person in it. And but when when a leader gets a mindset that hey, they, they're gonna taint the move of God, that's when I'm out. You want to know where that church, this was back in September. You want to know where that church is today? Back to square one, shut down with no one in it. Because you can have a move of God, but if a minister does not want to move of God, they will kill it. And so I, I, this is my prayer. God, connect me to hungry people. Connect me to people that are hungry for you that want to move of God. Because I'm not going to sit, I, I don't want to waste my time with people that are going to destroy what you're doing. This is this episode is probably going to hit in January or February of 2023. I had a meeting with with my leaders in in December, and I was talking to them, and I said, "The everything will rise and fall with leadership." Yes, it's not just yes. what we do; it's also what we don't do, and it's what yeah. we allow. Yeah. So the question is: Are we going to lead and serve like Jesus? And yeah. how did He do that? Yeah. Because. I wouldn't be sitting here if someone didn't tell me, I feel in my spirit, this is something God has for you that I need you to go and do X, Y, Z. I wouldn't yeah. have this podcast. I wouldn't have this nonprofit. I wouldn't be God. Wouldn't, I would not be doing the things I'm doing because they were never in my plan to do them. My yeah. plan was to continue on the road I was on of just doing drugs, doing whatever. But Jesus stepped in. That's and then right. my and then my plan was I thought I was leading effectively, and Jesus was like, "It's time for us to go here now. There's there's something different I need you to do because you are missing the boat talking to me. So when you talk about how, oh, the Lord spoke to me, no, the Lord did com completely convict me on the way I was leading in the realm of evangelism at my church. He's like, you're missing it, and if right. the leader 
if the leader, which is me, is missing it, then the people who are following me are missing it. Bro, I I called my head pastor leaving PA and apologized to him. I was like, look, in the area of soul winning, we have fallen short and it's my fault. I, I am... I told him, like, I'm apologizing to you because this has been put on me as the as the, the person who oversees this. So, for you know, for, for lack of a better term. And I said, I've, I've fallen short as a leader. And he said to me, he was like, you know, but that's on all of us. The Great Commission falls on all of us. Each one of us could be witnessing and doing this. And I said, because he's also my he's the one who led me to Christ. So I, right in that conversation, he was giving me a little bit of grace, just being right. father, you know, because I don't <laughs> yeah, I don't think he knew where I was like mentally or emotionally. Yeah. So he was like, let me feel this conversation out a little bit. But I said, yeah, but who's the one who is in because I like you, I knew I was called the fivefold of evangelism. I said, but who is the one? who is the evangelist in our church who's called to that? And he got quiet. <laughs> and I said, yeah, yeah, please accept my right. apology and my repentance. But now right. let me tell you what I plan to do to turn the corner. I plan to equip people so they know how to go out and share their faith depending on where they are. Because I tell people all the yeah. time, whether I'm in the ghetto or the projects, or I'm in the suburbs, or I'm in the boardroom, we're talking to high school kids. I don't talk to anybody the same, but I'm delivering the same message of yeah. salvation and healing yep. and deliverance. Yep. So I said, this is the plan that I'm putting together. And when I tell you that I talked to him on the phone about 40 minutes, but I only spoke for seven minutes, the excitement in his voice, he was like, well, now we can do this and we can do this and we can do this and we can do this to a point where I'm sitting here thinking like, how long have you been waiting to have this conversation with me? Right. <laughs> yeah, like, right. You know, so <laughs> I hear you, you know, it was, it's something I personally had to repent for to be like, God, I, I, I missed the mark because our outreach is more community service oriented with a soul winning element. So you're like 90, 10. Okay. Now yeah. we, we've made a serious shift of I'm going to equip the people and we're going to go hit the streets, whatever that's going to look like, whether that's you at work or whether we're physically walking the streets so we can right. go win souls. So, um, no, this is, uh, this, this episode is in such season and I'm, I'm paraphrasing some of what we're doing just for the sake of, of time right now, but it's all good. I preach for hours, dude. <laughs> I, I love to talk. The the thing about this podcast is like when I get other pastors and preachers on here, especially evangelists, or then I get other like life coaches on here, bro, these things can go for hours. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I don't want to cut it short, man. I don't want to cut what God is is saying or, or doing. This is ministering to me right now. So Amen. But like you said, something had to be revived in me. And I thank God that he gave me the grace to be open to, to that, you know, so. let me, uh, I want to read this scripture. Cause it, this is a powerful thing, man. And it's, uh, I, I use this every time I go to a place, I usually use this in my message at the end to, to call people to Christ. And it's an acts three and it's in the amplified version. I like the amplified cause it's uh loud, <laughs> right? But this is when Peter preaches, and they, they say, well, what must we do to be saved? And this is what he says. He says, repent. This is Acts 3.19 in the Amplified. It says, so repent, change your mind and purpose, turn around and return to God, that your sins may be erased, blotted out, wiped clean, that times of refreshing— of recovering from the effects of heat, 
of reviving with fresh air may come from the presence of the Lord. And so when Peter says that times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord, the Amplified says it's the reviving of fresh air. And what that's talking about, it's talking about like if you have a wound, that the way that a wound heals is you have to let air hit it. You can't just keep it wrapped and covered up. And so a lot of the church have wounds. They have damage done, but they don't allow the presence of God to come and revive that area of their life. And that's what people don't understand. Like Paul said, I keep a close watch on my own life. Lest I preach to others and I myself become a castaway. Why does he say that? Because it is our tendency. It is our natural man to, once we have that reviving thing come upon us, it's our tendency to go back. So you have to live in a constant state every day of your life where you're saying, Lord, come and refresh me again. Come and revive me. Come and allow your presence to come upon my life. You know, and so it's not. I'm not preaching to people like, I don't want people to think like, hey, you've never had an encounter with God, or you think you know the Lord and you don't. No, I just know how easy it is for you to be talking about the encounter you had 10 years ago, but there's nothing fresh happening right now. Talk to him. You know, and that's what we need. It's saying, look, come to the Lord, repent, change the way that you're thinking, allow God to come and, and, and penetrate your heart again. And so, you know, as we're talking, I literally... I, I could hear the Lord speaking to me, like when I'm telling you, like, we we must contend for revival. I can literally feel the Lord speaking to me and tell me, because I'm thinking, why are you talking like that? And the Lord's saying, because I, you're going to answer to me of what you did with the people that I entrusted to you. And if you don't teach your people to contend for everything that I have for them, then you're going to answer for it. So I, I can't make people do anything. But I'm definitely going to do what I have to do because I'm going to answer to God and God's going to say, hey, I gave you a mandate and you held back on people and you did not give them what I told you to give them. And I'm not willing to do that I, for, for my own life because I'm going to have to answer God. How did you do such a radical thing in my life? And then I went around and tried to play seeker friendly or I tried to uh, beat around the bush with people because I didn't want to offend people. Nope. You give them the whole package. You give them Holy Ghost as much as you can. If they reject it, that's on them. But some people will receive it. That's why I contend for revival, because I'm going to answer to God for it if I don't. I'm just going to start following you around, if you don't mind. Where are you going to be at after this? I'll meet you. Just, just give me about an hour and a half. to. to yeah. I'm already dressed. So. Want to, I'll, I'll be right where you'll be later. Yeah. Just give me an hour and a half to get there. <laughs> give me an hour. Actually, I think you're three hours away from me. Yeah. Because I broke the law coming to yeah. you. So yeah, let's go. Double the speed limit. I'm 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 not even if there's a way that um that Redwood can partner with you and what you do, please let me know. I'm not even joking. Um we you got my contact info. Just hit me up. Let's make yeah. it happen. Let's make it happen. Yep. I'm down. I'm down. Um, I gotcha. Because I have yeah. a very go ahead, man. No, I was going to say, you know, when we talked the other day, um, I, I am going to get with you because you said you were taking a team down to uh, New Orleans. I, I have two lady friends, um, older ladies. They're probably, I would say they're probably in their late 40s to 50s, 
probably 50s, maybe early 50s. They, uh, they go to New Orleans once a month and minister on the streets down there, two ladies, and they're connected with ministries down there. And they've been doing this for probably three years where they go every month for about a week or a weekend, four days or so. So, and I'm going to connect you with them because I think that will, they, they're already, a, they're a connecting point for you, which I think will be good. So I'm just, I'm going to just share some on, on my heart right now that Redwood Christian Ministries was was never meant to be just the church that I'm an elder and pastor at. So that's why when people listen to this podcast, for example, you don't just see and hear guests from the church that I go to because it's actually, if that was it, that'd be the opposite of the mission and vision. The idea is to be the church, but the whole the whole concept behind Redwood is those roots of those Redwood trees are intertwined. They support one another. They lift one another up. They encourage one another. This this um, mission trip we're going on is open to anybody who wants to to come. So I really appreciate that because I'm try- I'm looking to connect with people from churches all over the world. Yeah. Because New Orleans is just where where I'm starting. You know, I've got some other episodes coming up that I'm. We might be in Haiti at one point. You know, Let's so depending depend on how these things work out, you know, I'm just, I was praying and this, I don't, I don't know how, if you know what an answer to prayer you are, I don't know if I told you this or not, but I was praying probably a few days before you and I connected. I'm like, God, bring the people. I need you to expand the territory. I need signs and wonders to accompany this ministry. I need you to show me where I'm going because the, one of the prophetic words that was spoken over Redwood was this ministry it, it, God is going to tell me where I have to go because th- there yeah. is no one else doing this. Right. And the person who spoke that word in my life, what he didn't know is when I registered for all of, all of the, the, the information for the nonprofit and the trademarks and everything. And then, you know, you have to list your goods and services when you register yeah. all these things, there is literally no one out there doing what I'm doing. Right. That's why all the Amen. copyright works. That's why all the trademark stuff worked the way that it did with no issue. Amen. So, you know, I know the way I said that's a little bit all over the place, but the you are an answer to prayer because literally days before we connected, I was praying, God, where are we going? Because right. the prophetic word Amen. was God is going to tell me where to go. Amen. So Amen. Um, he said, basically, there is no actually what it was the word. It said there was Redwood Christian Ministries does not have a roadmap. Because there's no one else out there doing it, but Redwood Christian Ministries has a GPS. God is going to tell you exactly where to go. Amen. And I've been praying for Amen. a connection. Pick up my phone. My boy Phil Lee messaged me about you. He's like, I don't want to give you his number, but I'll give I'll give him yours. I'm like, so you just pass it on my phone without me knowing about it? That's yeah. cool. All right, thanks, Phil. <laughs> this guy could be anybody. I don't know who he is. <laughs> That's cool. All right, whatever. Amen. I like crazy people. I'll deal with it. Um, um incredible. I'm, I'm with you when you say, because when I walk to people, I'm like, look, I really feel like God is telling me this, you know, but if this isn't for you, throw it away, you know, but I really feel in my spirit. God is telling me to tell you this right now. I talk like that. I'm around yeah, people amen. who talk like that because, amen. you know, if you got a word of wisdom or word of knowledge, prophetic word, and it's, you know, and we test it according obviously to scripture, but speak it. <laughs> Amen. I want Amen. I want what God has for me. Let's talk right. about it. like why are we why are we shying away from the, the very purpose that we were created for? Let's not. I'm not going to run from that. Give it to me. I want all of that. Right. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm with you. I just wanted to share some of that, some of that with you while we were were talking about it. So, um, talk to me about this. So what is the, what do you feel the balance is here of waiting on the Lord, but then still doing my part? Oh yeah. I I read that question. I already knew the answer. So (laughs) people, people misread the scripture when God says, wait on the Lord. Or when the Bible says, wait on the Lord, if you hop off this podcast today and you go out to eat, you're going to have a waiter or a waitress. And what they're going to do is they're going to come and take your order and they're going to serve you. They're going to make rounds, run back and forth, do all these things. That's what waiting on the Lord is. Waiting is not sitting around and waiting. Waiting is saying, Lord, what can I do to serve you? May I take your order? That's waiting. So the the fact that hey I'm 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 waiting on the Lord no you're so to wait on the Lord and do your part that is your part your part is to wait as a waiter in the sense of you are going and saying Lord what do you need from me today that's it it's really that simple people are waiting on the big thing the big thing comes because you're being obedient to the daily task that's in front of you and when you're obedient to the daily task doors start to open up right I the Lord speaks to me go to 120 counties in Kentucky because there's 120 counties in Kentucky. So I said, okay. He says, make heritage fellowship, the, the, the base for the intercessory team. So I do, I go there, go there every Friday and be in that prayer meeting. I go in there. I talk about what's what God's doing. Who's in that prayer meeting, Phil, who connects me and you. So you, the, the doors that open comes through you doing the small task. What's the small task showing up to prayer meeting every Friday. Waiting on the Lord and saying, okay, Lord, what's my part to do? What, what, what do you need me to do today? That's waiting on the Lord. I'm going to try not to deliver this in a silly manner, but this is like, I had somebody was talking to me once and they said, I'm waiting on God to, to give me a new job. I'm just waiting. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. And I just yeah. asked them like, is your resume updated? Right. And they're like, no, I'm like, you can be active in the waiting process. Yeah. Let, let, yeah. Like uh, there's a minister. I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but basically this is what he said. He says, God gave you a brain so you could give him a break. It, you know, it, here's the problem with Christians. If, if you didn't have a job as a sinner, what you would do is get up and go get one. But as a Christian, we want to make everything ultra spiritual and say, I'm not doing anything until God comes and puts a job in my lap. That's not how it works. You should do the same thing that you would do is if you were a sinner, get up and get a job until you get the job that you're looking for. Go and work. If you don't work, you don't deserve to eat. That's what the Bible teaches. So why don't you use that verse before you wait on, you know, and here's the other thing. You always hear Christians say that God spoke to them to quit their job, but you never hear Christians say that God spoke to them to go get one. Right. I just, I, no, I haven't. You might've actually just stumped me that. I don't think I've ever heard someone say that. (laughs) God told me to go get a job, you know, but this is for people who have, you know, it's different for someone like you, who's been doing what you're doing. You're, you're believing God for something, but you're, you know, me and my wife, my wife had left her job with another source of income that Mm -hmm. funneled into that. Like, we're leaving one thing and will God speak to you to quit something? Yeah. But most people that say that have never had a consistent work ethic in their life. So you look at the fruit. Okay. 
what are you waiting on? Like, be ready. If, if, if your dream job came to you today and said, hey, the Lord spoke to me that you were waiting on a job. Let me see your resume. But the resume is not updated. Well, you just missed your job. So be ready if that's what you're saying God spoke to you, at least. I remember um, it's a little bit more convenient now. I remember I always used to carry my resume around on my keychain in a jump drive in case I ran into anybody anywhere. I always had it on me and I always had a copy of it saved in my email that I would email to myself. So I had to do a search my name and it would just pop up that I could quickly forward to to someone else. Sometimes we just have to be ready for that door opens to walk through it. What do they, what do they tell you in, in sports? You stay ready. So you don't have to get ready. That's right. You know, um, I think it was Kobe. He might, I don't know if it was Kobe or Jordan. It could have been both of them actually, because they're, they both had that mentality. They, they practiced the way that they were going to play. Yeah. So, and what I tell, cause I love kickboxing and Muay Thai. So what I tell the guys when we spar and we train, I tell them, I'm not about to practice a moving here that I don't plan on landing in a real fight. I right. will, I will be in a sparring session and I will throw the same kick a hundred to 200 times because by the time that hit that 100 to 200 times is adding up over a lifetime, I've now landed that same move over 10,000 times. Yeah. I know in a situation I could land this punch or this kick from anywhere. Right. If I needed to. Right. Because right. I'm ready. You know what I mean? It's yep, that whole idea right. of, of just, I'm going to practice and get and stay ready. So I don't have to get ready. So when the opportunity is there, we can just go. Right. Amen. So, yep. I'm with you, man. You, um, you do a lot. And I ask a lot of my guests this question. So how do you stay filled up so you can minister out of your overflow to avoid to avoid that dangerous space of a burnout um it, it's you know you have to learn to drink i tell people when i got saved i never quit drinking i just started drinking something different come on i started drinking the new wine you know and there's multiple scriptures in this um Ephesians 5 says, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the spirit. And here's the best way that I can explain it. And this comes from one of my evangelist friends named Scott Willis. He says the same way that you drink in bad news is the same way that you drink in the presence of God. Wow. That's so good. Here, here's how it works. So if you get a phone call today that someone has cancer or someone died in a car wreck, or your your child got suspended from school or something along those lines, like bad news, like you get a bad phone call. What you do is the words that you hear, you drink into your being and you could have had the best day ever. But the moment you get that call, you drink in that information and it changes your whole being. You're now you're out of a good mood. You're in a bad mood. You're, you're frustrated. So we are experts at drinking in bad news. We're experts at drinking in what the media says. We were experts at drinking in the narrative of the, you know, Fox and CNN and all these other things, but we're not good at drinking in the presence of God. And so what you do, like a lot of Christians you meet, they pray, 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 but they never just receive. Like when I go to pray for people, lay hands on people, a lot of the time, the moment you go to pray for a Christian, they start speaking in tongues or they just start praying. It's like, dude, shut up. Like, <laughs> and this is this is one of the examples. 
can you talk and drink at the same time? If I go to take a drink of this water while I'm talking, it's going to spill everywhere and you're not going to hear one thing I say. And that's what Christians do. They don't know how to be quiet and just receive from the presence of God, what God has for them. And so that that's what I do, man. I, I, I put myself in a position to receive from the Lord as much as possible. You have to tap into the well. You know, uh, the, the old timers would say, get under the spout where the glory comes out. You have to learn to receive. And that's all that you have to do. If you are constantly drinking, you, you have. And that's the thing. You have to learn to drink wherever you're at. You can drink. I could drink right here. I could drink in my car. I could drink in the shower. I, it's me positioning myself to receive from the Lord. Lord, speak to me. I receive your presence today. And, and that's it, man. You, I, I mean, because here's the truth. I'm doing a lot. I don't feel like I'm doing that much. I feel like I need to be doing more. And it's because I live out of that overflow. And trust me, when you go to do something and you're not overflowing, you're, you're going to know very quickly. And you're going to be like, man, that sucked. That was the worst message I ever preached. Because you tried to manifest something that wasn't in you. And so you and then you realize, man, I need to be filled up. That that's how you do it, man. You continue to drink, be filled. That's what the Bible says. On the day of Pentecost, that when the, the wind came, the Holy Ghost came, the Bible says that cloven tongues of fire appeared upon all of them and they were all filled. So I'll give you another one. First Corinthians 12, I think it's 11, maybe 8, 12, 11, maybe. Says that we were all baptized into one spirit and were made to drink of that spirit. So the same way you drink in bad news, you drink in good news. Here's, Here's a piece of advice that I heard from a minister. He said, God could not prevent Adam from sinning in the garden. Jesus could not prevent his own ministry staff member from stealing and committing suicide. Quit wasting all of your time on people who don't want what you have. Find the people that are hungry and thirsty and focus on those people. Why do people burn out? Is because they think that they can change people. I have seen people on fire radically radical disciples for the Lord and one person in their family choose to go sideways and it completely take them out because they spent all their time and energy focused on the one person that didn't want it. I don't focus on people that don't want it. You're always going to have people that don't want it. Pearl's the swan, man. Um, I have made, I made a decision a while ago um, because of my, you know, the, what I do for a living and then my role in ministry, I, will not apologize for I don't spend my time. I, yeah. I won't. Because when I realize that you don't want what I have or you or you're just literally this is just an emotional thing, I literally start to limit the time where I spend with people. My my time is I think people see me they 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 like you do a lot, but the piece that is they don't see the back end of it. They don't realize how strategic and systematic my time is. I have the time to answer certain phone calls and text messages because if someone's hungry, I'm going to feed them because those are yeah. the people I need to spend my time. Amen. But when I see, but if I, and I've quickly realized if I'm giving wisdom and you are rejecting that wisdom or you're not implementing that wisdom, you're not rejecting me, you're rejecting Christ. That's so right. 
I'm going to spend less and less time there. And the person who is looking for this, I'm going to move and spend more of my time there. Amen. Why am That's I going right. to give, why am I going to give food to someone who doesn't want it when there's somebody on my right starving? Yeah, that's right. It's crazy to me. So no, I feel exactly. you. I feel you. So um, the, these next couple of questions are questions I've asked every guest because I'm just, I'm just curious what, because I, I I love hearing the, the, the varied um, responses. Yeah. What does your, what does your relationship with Jesus look like now? Like if you could describe that, like, how would you describe it? Well, man, that can be a lot of different things. Uh, uh, we got four more hours. Take your time. Yeah. <laughs> Describe my relationship with Jesus. It's a relationship of covenant. That's mm. the best way that I could explain it. I'm in a covenant. I, I told on this last night. And the, the covenant of grace is that Christ came so that we would yield ourselves to the sacrifice, but also yield ourselves in obedience to what the gospel demands out of us. And so for me, I'm in a covenant. It's we're in this together, you know. If God be for us, who can be against us, right? If that's a people quote that scripture, like if God is for us, who can be against us? But that's the, the, the first word is if, how do you know that God's for you? God's not for everybody. God's for people that are for him. And so does God love the world? Yeah. And he, he, he'll never change his mind because he already gave the sacrifice. But even God will not spend all of his time beckoning people to come that reject and reject and reject. And so for me, I, it's just a covenant. I do my part. God does his part, man. And God does what I can't do. And so uh, my, my daily thing is, Lord, my life belongs to you. He, here's my relationship with the Lord. I'll tell you. I'll give you this scripture. Romans 12, 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, and beg of you in view of all the mercies of God to make a decisive dedication of your bodies, presenting all your members and faculties as a living sacrifice, holy, devoted, consecrated, and well-pleasing to God, which is your reasonable, rational, intelligent service and spiritual worship. My relationship with Jesus is every day I wake up and I put my life back on an altar and say, Lord, let your fire fall on sacrifice today. This, here's my life. Do whatever you want. And, and Paul says, this is your reasonable service. If people aren't on fire for God, there's a reason. There's a lack of sacrifice in their life. And what that makes you realize is people are unreasonable. Because that scripture teaches, if you're reasonable, you understand that your body needs to be on an altar every day. That's my relationship with Jesus. I'm looking at this scripture. I preached a sermon on this and I, I harped on the part, which is your spiritual worship. Because I said, is your life, and I'm talking your day to day, every hour, every minute, every second, is your life an act of worship to God? Is your life yeah. dedicated? Is what you're doing worship unto the Lord? Not a song, not a, not a feeling. Are you living that way? Yep. So um, I appreciate you bringing that up. Yep. I'm really curious what your answer is to this. If you could be remembered for one thing, what would it be? If I could be remembered for one thing. 
I would say that I serve I serve my generation by the will of God. Like it was spoken of David. He he served his generation by the will of God. That if I would be remembered by my kids, my wife, my church family, the world, they would say he served his generation by the will of God. He didn't waste one moment of his life. He gave his life for this gospel and served his generation. I was thinking about, it's funny when you said that my answer to this question, if anyone yeah. ever asked me, it would have been that I served like Jesus. Yeah. I was just curious Amen. what you were going to say. Yeah. I, I'm excited to see where God's going to take this. I'm excited to see where God's going to take us, man. I'm, 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 I'm curious. I'm really curious to see. Amen. Because <laughs> I just had a feeling you were going to say something similar to to what was going through my head. If I was asked this question, I was just really Amen. curious. Amen. What motivates you? Uh, Jesus, <laughs> Holy Ghost, and souls, man. That's it. Jesus, Holy Ghost, souls to love people, to bless people, to give them the greatest opportunity of their life, to have an encounter with God. Why do you do what you do? I, I want people to have the same experience that I had, life-changing experience with a supernatural God, because nothing can compare to it. Nothing. Man. I wish that I had like a hundred more questions to ask you, <laughs> but this brings us to the final segment of the show. This is our let them know segment. Anything you want to share, anything you want to say, um, anything you want to promote, you know, this is, this is your time to say anything you like to share to the audience. Cody, let them know. Yeah, we're, uh, we're going to see revival in America. We're going to see revival in the state of Kentucky. We're traveling to 120 counties, and we're going to see God shake Kentucky, and we're going to see God shake America. And uh, would love for you to be a part of that with us. You know, I, I I just pray for us. If you want to sow into us, whatever you feel to do, but the, the, that's it, really. Just contend for revival wherever you're at. Um, we're on social media, Cody Jones Ministries, YouTube, Facebook, and you can follow us there. Other than that, that, that would be it. Pray for us for God to bring revival to America. You are, you are officially in, um, in my prayer, in my prayer chain, man, 100%, 100%. I know this was a divine appointment. I'm just curious where it's going to go. I'm like that kid Amen. waiting on that box at Christmas now. So you got me Amen. on fire after this. <laughs> If I could ask you to do one more thing for us before yeah. before you and I sign off, would you mind um, praying us out, please? And I'll pray for absolutely. the ministry as well. Yep, absolutely. Father, I thank you today for my brother, Eric. I thank you for this podcast. I thank you for Redwood Ministries, Lord, and what you're doing through this through this ministry and the, 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 this body. Father, I thank you for everyone that will watch this video. And I pray, Lord, that you would put a fire inside of them a fire that drives them to the ends of the earth, a fire that drives them to see a generation touched 
by the power of the Holy Ghost. Father, we thank you today for the spirit of God that brings revival to every scenario and every place that our feet tread. Father, I thank you that your word tells us, just like you told Joshua, everywhere that your feet tread, you're on land that I've given to you. So Father, we thank you for territory. We thank you for land. We thank you that you're taking us to places that man cannot take us. Father, I thank you that you're opening doors that no man can shut. God, you are taking us into 2023 to enter into the greatest year that we've ever had and to see souls come into the kingdom, to see the harvest come. Father, we believe it. We receive it. I pray a blessing over this ministry right now. I pray a financial blessing. I pray that you would send him seed sowers to sow into the kingdom of God, to, to push against darkness on what God's doing through this ministry. I, I pray that a prayer canopy would, would overshadow this ministry, God, to, to, to pray down the fire of heaven, to, to, to push them into their, their destiny. God, we thank you for it. I give you glory for it. In Jesus' name, I, I bless Pastor Eric. I bless his family with peace from on high. And we give you thanks for it now in Jesus' name. And Father, I just want to lift up Cody and his ministry to you now, Lord. Lord, I just thank you for everything you're doing in him and through him, Lord. I just thank you that, that he is more than a conqueror. He can do all things through Christ who strengthens him, that he who is in him is greater than he who is in the world, Father. Lord, I thank you everywhere he goes. I thank you that just revival is going to come. We just speak that forth now, Father. I thank you that you're just going to give him words in season for everyone that he's just about to, to come in contact with. I thank you for the signs and wonders that are going to come to the ministry. I thank you for just the souls that are going to be won and saved for you. I thank you for the names that are going to be added to the book of life because of what you're using this man to do, Father. But I just pray blessings around him, his family, and everything that he is getting ready to do. I pray your traveling mercies on him as he gets ready to, uh, to depart and go out today. And I thank you for the power of the testimony that's going to come from everyone that he reaches and touches, Lord. I thank you for the multiplication. I thank you for the words that he's spoken into the audience, the words that he's spoken into my life, Lord. And I just thank you for this divine connection appointment that you made between us today. I'm excited to see what you're going to do in us and through us. We just pray and ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Brother, thank you so much for being on here today. I got to get yep. you. I got to get you back on here at some point. At some point. Yep. Let me know. Maybe tomorrow. Don't say that because I might call you tomorrow. Like, hey, what are you doing right now? What are you doing right now? Just to get you just to drop a sermon on here Amen. for a couple hours. All right, man. Thank you so much for being on here today. And uh, good luck to everything you're getting ready to touch today. I, uh, I'll be praying for you. Amen. Love you, brother. God bless Love you, too, man. Thank you. See you.